This is Jay Baer from Convince and Convert, and welcome to the Content Pros Podcast, where you'll hear the strategies and secrets of the best content marketers in the world. The show is brought to you by Oracle Marketing Cloud, helping businesses use the latest marketing technologies to tell their stories and connect with their customers. The show is also brought to you by Vidyard, the best platform for creating, managing, and optimizing your video content marketing. And the show is brought to you by Uberflip, a content experience platform that allows marketers to create, manage, and optimize tailored content experiences for every stage of the buyer journey. The hosts of the show are Randy Frisch and Tyler Lessard. Find all links, archives, and more at contentprospodcast.com. Now, here's Randy, Tyler, and this week's special guest. Welcome to another episode of Content Pros. I am Randy Frisch from Uberflip. As always, I've got Tyler Lessard with me from Vidyard, and this is Content Pros. We are part of the Convince and Convert family of podcasts, and Today, we are going to dig really deep into understanding how content is being strategically used. And to do that, we actually have an expert with us in Todd Berkowitz. Todd comes from Gartner. Tyler, you've gotten to know Todd too. Tell us a little bit about him and then let's let's have him join this conversation. Well, we've got another um, tremendous guest here with us today, and, and one of the things I think that's really exciting about what what Todd brings to the table is, you know, he spent years as a practitioner in various marketing roles, various companies, but has spent the last four years as a research vice president at Gartner, working with a range of technology clients in B two B to understand what they're really doing out there across these different markets, what's working, what's not, and uh, what the latest hot topics are across these different companies. So, uh, without further ado, uh, Todd. Why don't you continue maybe introducing yourself a little bit and uh, maybe share with the audience what your focus is in your life at Gartner? Yeah, well, thank you, uh, Randy. Thank you, Tyler. Uh, appreciate you guys having me on your podcast and um, great, great to be here. So, you know, as you guys mentioned, I, uh, I spent about 15 years kind of as a practitioner, then decided to jump over the dark side and be an analyst. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it's a lot of fun because I get to see what other people are doing, look at their problems, look what's look at what's working, what's not working, and you know, and, and give advice and share share that sort of insight with actually, you know, more than about 500, 500 different companies a year, if you can believe it. Um, so we generally have been covering a lot lately has been, you know, around account-based marketing. That seems to be sort of the the default go-to-market model. Um, but you know, we our clients range from very small little clients that you guys would probably never hear of, you know, up to the likes of some of the largest, um, largest tech vendors in the world. And what, uh, what we find is there's just a lot of variation in how sophisticated people are from a demand gen perspective, how they use content, uh, what works, what doesn't. And, and so, um, it, it, what I do on a daily basis really, you know, varies pretty significantly. But as I was mentioning, you know, ABM does seem to be the hot topic for me lately. Yeah, no, absolutely, Todd. I mean, we're we're like right in the heat of marketing event season, right? So it's like every yeah. other week there's a marketing event to go to, and I and I found exactly what you're saying. Like you walk by, you know, the exhibit halls in these companies, and no one has a booth that doesn't have that buzzword ABM, right. and there's no session, you know, to attend that's not dropping the ABM term in, in some sort of way. And I think. You know, it's it's exciting because it's a new way to think about things, even though maybe it's an old school way with a new right. twist. But right. uh, 
but you know, what are some of the the challenges when people come to you at Gartner and they say, okay, like we want to figure out ABM, you know, how, how clear are their questions or is it literally that high level at this stage? You know, it, it really depends. We have some clients who, you know, if you think about the traditional ABM, right, you know, some of the larger clients who may be doing ABM for 10, 20, 50 of their largest existing clients, and it's very personalized, and it sort of seems to be an extension of account-based selling. But then we also have others that, you know, really want to do ABM specifically for net new customers, and they want to do it at scale, you know, eventually get to 1,000 or 2,000. And we've got some that have been doing it for a year or more, which, you know, for the new version of ABM is kind of, you know, that's like dog years. The year is forever. Um you know, but the, the the types of questions that uh, that they're asking really will vary. I mean, some are just trying to ask us, what does this thing mean? How do I run a program? How do I think about everything from the accounts I select to what kind of data I need to the engagement channels to the level of personalization and, and even to how do I figure out the metrics to tell me this thing is working or not? Now, you know, and others will come to us with maybe very specific questions within that to say, okay, how do we get better data for this country? How do we figure out, you know, specifically what kind of content do we need for this particular channel that we're running to this particular set of accounts or for this particular level? So, I mean, it's, it's, it's really all over the map, maybe more so than any other topic that I've dealt with over the four years I've been at Gartner. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I, I remember about a year ago, um, actually, a guy who's been a, a guest on this podcast, Brian Miskid at KPMG, is the CMO there, and yeah. he had talked about how you know they were starting off by just investing in in knowledge for their team, so people were right. were getting certified in ABM, and you know I think there's probably, and you probably see this as you you mentioned earlier, this idea that some of your clients are small companies you never heard of, and some are behemoths, and I I, I wonder how there if there's a balance there between like small companies just rolling up their sleeves and saying, okay, let's start this thing. And the big companies saying, okay, let's learn about this thing first. Um, and I can tell you even at, at my company, I mean, we're, we're, we've kind of got almost like two personalities, right? We've got our, yeah. our VP of revenue and sales who wants to just start and our VP of marketing who's like, okay, let's, let's figure out the strategy first and then we can start. And, and I wonder, I mean, are you seeing a balance of, of dig in versus plan? Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's all over the place, maybe for a couple of reasons. On the one hand, you get somebody, let's just say it's the chief revenue officer, head of sales, or maybe even the CEO who basically, you know, they, they show up at a conference, whether it's ours or somebody else's, or they read something and they're all over ABM and they say to their CMO or the head of demand gen or whoever it is, you got to go and do this. Um, and in other cases, though, it's, you know, the, the, the marketing folks kind of get it. They understand they want to do it, but it becomes a very scary proposition for them because um, I, I think what we would tell you very, very often is that um, you, you end up having to do a lot of things at the beginning that won't work. And that's by design. But it's also just when you sort of think about the traditional world of demand generation and thinking about how everything, you know, basically leads to a marketing qualified lead. And a lot of marketers are still, unfortunately, measured specifically on that metric. And then you get into this ABM world and, and suddenly you realize leads per se don't really matter as much. That accounts, that engagement. Ultimately, how do you drive, how do you turn that engagement into opportunities and, and deals and faster sales cycles? 
So it's a scary proposition for a lot of people, uh, which does cause people to want to slow down. But then, as I said, you get others that want to push ahead really fast. And we even get, believe it or not, people who are trying to do it without having a marketing automation system in place or without having an actual marketer to orchestrate things. So, yeah, you can you can imagine that that that, that raises some red flags with us and we have to sort of calm people down a little bit, I guess, would be the would be the polite way of putting it. <laughs> so let me ask you something um, about that, Todd, because yeah. we hear, uh, you know, we, we we try to do this and, and we get into an account-based mindset. And, you know, what we start to look at are, you know, these different types of accounts that we want to engage with. And we go down part of this, you know, the, the planning and, and mapping exercise of, of trying to really think about what is the buyer's journey that we want to take these different accounts on. And, you know, something I always struggle with, you know, personally as uh, as a marketer is, uh, but also as a very practical marketer, is recognizing that like each of these accounts end up being very different when we end up dealing with them. Like I like to imagine that there's this consistent buyer's journey and I'm going to create 10 pieces of content and they're all going to follow the same path. But the reality is when you start working with the sales team in an orchestrated way, you find that the playbooks for each one tend to change. You know, somebody's at a different level of understanding than the others. You right. know, somebody has a different competitor in place and the whole dynamic of, of what kind of content is going to work with them changes. So, um, and, and it might not be any different with broader marketing, but it seems amplified with ABM when you start thinking about how do you try to build a, you know, a single buyer's journey and, and create a content strategy around it. So I'm curious if you see that, you know, others are struggling with that and, and what's your take on kind of the buyer's journey and building a content strategy around it? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I think you're right that it, it, it probably extends beyond ABM into traditional demand generation. Um, you know, a lot of a lot of our clients, I think, unfortunately, will conflate how they want to sell with how they expect people to buy. <laughs> I love that. And and you know, I mean, there you know, no one right. If you're a buyer of anything, you don't care about how anyone wants to say, sell, what their process is. I mean, I we're looking to put in new windows in our house, and I I don't particularly care that that the sales guy from a particular vendor want you know says the price is expiring tonight, so we better go ahead and, and, and do this. That's, you know, I will buy the way I want to buy, and I will sort of ignore the sales process. And the same thing happens with, with, with our clients. I, I think the hard thing is that people believe that they can really truly dictate how, how this journey is going to go and use content to kind of, um, kind of guide that. And you know, my, so my, I don't know if you guys know Hank Barnes. He's one of one of our one of my colleagues on on, on the team and uh, uh, pretty active on social media, but he's led up a lot of our research kind of around the buying cycle and the owning cycle, you know, specifically for 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 tech companies or, or people buying, I should say, from tech companies. And um, what what we found is this buying process it's not linear, it's not predictable. You, you know, you never know when someone's jumping in, even when they do progress down a particular path. Someone comes along with a new piece of information, whether it's a, a different vendor, it's it's an analyst, it's someone they know, and then they can end up going sort of backwards or forwards. But it also, you know, it also has found the research we've done has really found that you have this emergence of buying teams, and even individuals on a team start to act different. So our guidance is generally: look, you should have content that meets sort of the different needs of the different buyers you're going after, the different roles the different individuals, and also the different stages where they may be. Because ultimately, you start to figure out where they are. And as you progress through your own sales cycle, things get a little more predictable. Um, but I, you know, and I guess I'd say that in, in, in the ABM world, 
because you're so hyper-focused on, on particular accounts, you should have better knowledge and you should be able to understand, okay, in this account, uh, we found a couple of champions, but we realized they have to convince someone else, someone in a different group, that this should be a priority over the seven other things they're doing. And what kind of content can we give them to help them evangelize, to help them convince those other people that, you know, it's now, can we give them case studies? Can we give them ROI, excuse me, ROI calculators? You know, are there other things to help them see that whatever you're selling now should be at the top of their list? I mean, that that's that's the knowledge you start to get as you get more insight into the accounts. And and really the content strategy kind of has to flow there. So I, I know I, I kind of rambled off topic. No, that was great. That was great. I, you know, I mean, that's something that I, I'm out and Tyler, the two of us are out there talking about so much is this this need to personalize, this need to give these authentic experiences to the people that we're relating to. And, you know, it brings up a good question, though, you know, at least one in my mind. And, and it's one that I think some marketers have been struggling with lately is, you know, we've we've grown up the last five, 10 years as marketers. And you pointed this like a lot of time, you know, using a marketing automation tool. And it's, you know, I, I often say I hate that term marketing automation because it yeah. makes us think like, it's just all going to be automated. And right. you know, that, that's why, by gonna... the way, we have still not used that term in our research. We'll call it CRM lead management, by the way. We may be the only oh, one. Good for you guys. Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I, I guess, you know, getting into the weeds of where I think some of the technology out there is going or at least some of the desires of where people want technology to go is people are, are almost excited about this idea of AI and, you know, personalization and recommendation engines. And yeah. I'm wondering what your thoughts are on like, is that the way to go? Because as you pointed out, like just because it worked for the last person is it really going to work for this person? So when we think of lining up these journeys of content or the buyer journey, as you described, which is unique for everyone, should we really be looking at, you know, using mass customization or should we, should we be dealing with this more manually? And then how does that work at scale? Yeah. I mean, so let me try to unpack that one. Cause I think there's a couple of interesting things there. Um, you know, sort of on the AI front and, and, and maybe, also broaden it prescriptive and predictive analytics and other things that use data science. I mean, we've seen a lot of good use cases for that, particularly as it comes to, you know, defining the types of accounts you want to go after, whether you're talking about, you know, an ABM or more traditional demand gen or prospecting. Um, and, and we've also seen it being used to help sort of understand uh, where an opportunity is, the likelihood of it closing, you know, even the likelihood of a lead converting. We've seen some very interesting use cases there. Um, we haven't seen it as much kind of on the content side yet. Now, I've, I've, I've seen a few vendors start to try to think about that. I mean, th there's still a pretty big problem in, in being able to have a big enough data set to say, should we use this piece of content here or should we do this now? You I mean, you have to have some, you have to have, you have to be able to turn it back to some sort of conversion to say, you know, in other other customers that look like this, this is what worked and what 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 didn't work. We've actually seen it happen a little bit downstream on the sales side, um, kind of with some of the we call them digital content management for sales platforms. But we're not quite. I would say we're not quite there yet. It's 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 just happening in pockets now. What I would also say though is is that if you think about this more in ABM, you know the element of personalization becomes important. Do do you how much do you personalize? Do you personalize the ad? Do you personalize the call to action? Do you personalize the content below it? And, and that 
often becomes kind of a resource issue as much as it becomes whether or not you should do it or shouldn't do it. We, we've seen people try to really go and personalize these things, and it turns out it doesn't work. And that isn't because of automation as much as they just find that sometimes personalization for the sake of personalization actually leads to poor results. And, um, you know, it didn't take a machine to tell you that. You just had to look and see that t- the campaign you run wasn't as effective. Yeah, that, made, that makes so much sense. And yeah, I, I want to dig deeper on this. We're going to take a yeah. quick break, hear from a couple of our sponsors, and we'll be right back to dig into how we accomplish this at scale then. Hey, Zoe. Hey, Kelly. Do you know what I love? Benedict Cumberbatch. Yeah, him, but also Netflix and how it always shows me what I'll love, aka all the murder mysteries. Ooh, or documentaries about puppies. I wish there was a way to do that with B2B content. And we'll hold on to your pants. So you know Uberflip? It lets you create a better content journey for your readers. So I can let my readers binge my content while my sales team also sends it out to prospects? You sure can. Amazing. How do I get it? Just head over to uberflip.com and request a demo. So Todd, let me uh, follow up on the points you were making around kind of the the, the effectiveness of, of content and, and personalization. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that, you know, I'm really passionate about these days from a content marketing perspective is, is of course, not only building great content at the top of the funnel, but is building a great content strategy through the mid and bottom part of the funnel and really aligning with the sales team. And I think this also ties back to, of course, ABM and thinking mm-hmm. about, you know, what content are we creating to, to service that actual sales lifecycle, not just bringing the leads in, but how can we create content and deliver it in a way to our sales team that they can deliver it in a more personal fashion? And that's actually one thing that I think gets missed in the idea of personalization is actually the manual personalization and, and equipping your sales team to say, yeah, based on this, I'm going to pull this piece, this piece, this piece, and deliver them kind of the, the custom content that I think they need um, in, a, in, a, in a packaged up way. Uh, I'm interested in your perspective on that. And, and again, do you see more focus on you know, mid-funnel, late-stage funnel content and how marketing and sales teams are aligning on, uh, on that strategy? Or, or what's your take? Yeah, I, I, we, we've definitely seen more of that, I'd say, over the last year. It's something something we've been writing about, um, I, I would say, but the clients, and I know I, ABM may be one of the reasons for this, but I'm not sure it's the only reason, you know, has been pushing people a little bit more in that direction. I mean, you, you know, when you really, right, when you really get back to it, you can be a CMO and you can generate all the MQLs you want and you can have all the best top of the funnel content you know, if you're not closing deals, if the company isn't making its number, isn't growing as fast as, as it wants, or deals are being perceived as taking too long, you know, the marketing team's not going to get a pat on the back and say, and no one's going to say, great job. Um, they're going to, you know, eventually it's going to come down and say, okay, you've got to do more to help sales out here. And so I think, you know, as the buying cycles have gotten more complex, there has been this, then this push there. But I mean, I, I'd also say I, I talk to a lot of clients kind of on the sales side and often they've got some bottlenecks somewhere. You know, maybe they say we do a demo or we're doing a proof of concept and then it kind of goes dark after that. And we start to figure out why. And it turns out that they don't really have a, a strategy for sending content out after they do something. Right. They just sort of have it as normal. Well, sales is going to engage and say, you know, ask people if they're ready to move forward or if they need anything else. And so, I mean, I think there's been a realization that content can play an important role. Sometimes there just is no content to send out. And that's when we have to say, okay, you guys need to create some more mid-funnel content. Mm-hmm. Um, in other cases, they're just not using it. And, and I'd also say, I'd also say, um, you know, that uh, you, you, 
you can always reuse certain things. I mean, we come back to case studies a lot because they can they can work in so many different contexts. I mean, they're a great way to build trust at the beginning and get people to engage. Everybody wants to see a case study, but you know, at the same time, it's also a great thing to throw in down the funnel. Say, okay, here's here's some example of where somebody else got some pretty demonstrable ROI, yep. um, and you send that out after doing a demo. So it doesn't even have to necessarily be that you're creating a bunch of new content. It's just with as you talk about with the personalization, the sales salesperson, um, you know, uses that, puts a personalized note around it, and, and puts some context around how why, why they're using this, and 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 even suggests that they forward it on to those other other people who were part of the buying team. So I think there's a lot of right. um, a lot of interesting things that you can do there just just by personalizing, you know, or putting a personalized approach around. How you send it out. You know, I remember I had this really funny moment um, in our team a little while ago where we were increasing um, uh, the price of, of one of our packages. And mm-hmm. immediately yeah. the team said, amazing for us because, you know, we're going to bring in just as many leads and opportunities. But if the average deal size goes up, all of a sudden that's way more pipeline and we're going to crush <laughs> our pipeline numbers. And, you know, I turned to the team and said, yeah, and our close rates are going to go down unless we focus on helping the sales team sell. And the win is only if those close rates stay the same and the revenue goes up. And of course, you know, the eyeballs light up. And, and I said, so guess what we're going to do the next six months? We're going to focus on late stage content. and right. But not only the content, but how we empower the sales team with it. So do they have the right. tools to actually use it? Um, and then the last piece was how do we actually help the sales team create content on the fly with things like videos and, and whatnot, which of course is sure. part of our life, but you know, how can right. we make, turn them into creators and it's not about them writing a big ebook, but even the simple thing of them recording a quick personal video and then, yeah. you know, adding to the playlist, a little micro demo that they did a screen capture, those right. sorts of things matter and, and they work. And we found, you know, it's, it's, it's a really fun environment to be in when you're thinking at that level about your content strategy and how marketing, you know, fits all the way through to the, to, to the sales process. Right. Just re- real quick to add on that. I mean, we've also seen a big, I'd say a big recognition that sales enablement in general is an area that a lot of companies need to do better. Um, you know, content is certainly one piece of that. And as I've been, you know, there are there are definitely various platforms out there that really can help people, you know, either create content or understand when to use the content and what context and what to do around it. But I mean, I just think in general, there Mark, I, I might even sort of think about it as a, a bit of the r- return of product marketing here, where, where product marketing is, you know, has was just so buried in basically being demand gen, gen monkeys for all intents and purposes. Now it's suddenly like, okay, really putting their expertise in the back to helping sales do what they need to do through content and training and other things. You know, that's that's been a big push lately, and a- ABM just just makes that that much more imperative. But I, I, I do. I would agree with you that, you know, uh, the laws of math, by the way, and uh, reason would dictate that you you had to do it. <laughs> yeah, it, it's, it's actually interesting that like, I, I mean, I fully agree with what you guys are talking about, right? We, we have to enable sales. And, it, you know, it's, it's funny as you describe this. I mean, a lot of our customers struggle with this and, you know, we help them solve some of these problems. What's also interesting, though, is how it flows even beyond sales, right? And yeah. we had one of our customers who uses 
our platform to do a lot of, of what you're describing, um, you know, in terms of bundling content and, and especially case studies, right? You know, it's yeah. interesting how you brought up case studies because I was, we were, we were at one of these events recently and one of the customers came over and they're like, you know, they were talking about their customer success team. So the teams that, that start to work with the customer after the, the initial purchase. And they were talking about how at that stage, those case studies are actually almost more important than some of the very product heavy how-to articles that they send to people. And the question was, how do we bundle together a case study with the technical how-to documentation, right? Because it's one thing to to see the documentation. It's another thing to see what the output of that is. And I think right. – that's where we, you know, I, I think this is what we're we're all talking about here, the three of us, is that content actually needs to be used in different ways at different times, especially when you think about, you know, the more complex buying uh, processes, you know, different buyers or, or sorry, different contacts may come into the picture at a later stage who weren't involved in the purchase. Exactly. Yeah, you know, one of the things that uh, that I'm seeing, Randy, is that in that life cycle, um, and you talk about customer success, because, you know, those of you in a subscription business or whatnot, um, you know, customer retention and upsell yeah. is often as a bigger part of the business than, than new, new, new business generation. And uh, it's something that I know I'm hearing more people talk about is the role of, you know, content marketing, even post-sale. And you know, helping yeah. customers and the idea you gave Randy, I love, which is here's a case study about how another one of our customers is crushing it. And by the way, here's very specific tips and best practices about how they did that. And you, other customer, um, we want to help you replicate that. And you know, it becomes you know a great upsell potential when the customer realizes that. And, and I think that's as much a job of product marketing and content marketing as it is of you know customer success and, and right. the sales team. Yeah, we've, yeah, we've had a lot of not just inquiries, we've just seen a growth in inquiries, but also as we talked to some some of our vendor clients too that are in the space, I mean, the, the two places where when you think about use of content, you think about enablement that have really grown in recent years has been on the front end, the SDRs, but then on the back end of it, the CSMs. Um, you know, both of them are part of your sales team. They're part of the buy, you know, they, so they really... Um, you, you have to think about how does how does anybody who's going to be involved in the sales process or sort of the the owning process, right? How, how do they use content? And so so broadening and just not everybody thinks about how do you how do you help the hunters be more successful? But it's all these other people, the account managers, the CSMs, the SDRs, the consultants, the solution folks. They all need content. Yeah, and, and you know the the inspiring thing here, I think, is as we're talking about this, is, is our our customers are and, and marketers as a whole, they want to learn about how to do more of this. It's you know taking this concept offline. Um, I've been at a couple of these events we've been talking about recently where we end up doing like case study presentations. Yeah, and the cool thing is, as much as we're in many ways there to try and attract prospects ourselves. Sometimes in the room, half the room are customers, right? They're existing customers and they just want to come in because they want to learn how other people are using technology in different ways at different stages. So mm -hmm. I think, you know, there is this thirst of, of customers out there, or sorry, marketers rather, I'm calling them customers right now, but of marketers yeah. out there to, you know, figure out how to leverage content. And I think, you know, when you think about this, a lot of it comes back to, I think, some of the pressures we should start to expect as content marketers. And that's the idea that we have to now start to prove ROI of all that content we created. Yeah. Right? You know, for, for a while, it was enough to say, okay, we're going to figure out content marketing. 
by creating content. Now it's, all right, well, I give you that budget to create content. How are you going to leverage this? How are you going to make it impact the buyer journey, the conversion, right. everything we've been talking about today? How are you going to help people, cl- how are you going to help people close deals? Absolutely. Honestly. Absolutely. It's, it all comes back to that at the end of the day. So Todd, before we, we wrap up here, we always like to get to know our guests and, uh, you know, We'll start with an easy one. We just want to get to know you outside of work. We were actually talking before we went live on this, and we found out that both Tyler and I are dance dads, um, meaning that both of us have uh, dance recitals for our young daughters, and we are performing in it. You know, what's what's yeah. your type of external, outside of work activity if it's not dancing that keeps you busy on a weekend or you know outdoors as as we start to you know switch seasons here. Yeah, well, I mean, uh, there's a couple things. Softball has started for me, but you know, inevitably, I I seem to injure myself every time I play, which is which is no good. And, <laughs> and I'm the youngest guy on the team too, and I still manage to have the most injuries. But uh, you know, my kid, my my kids are not into dance, uh, thankfully, but they are competitive swimmers. <laughs> um, that you know, I I may I may have you beat for how long I have to spend, kind of uh, kind of doing that uh just swim meets can go on and on and on and on uh but it's fun i like it they like it so but that you know uh, you guys that, are you guys are fathers you know how your whole life seems to revolve around your kids activities <laughs> absolutely uh, so another interesting fact we were able to dig up about you is is your birthday and uh you actually ended up uh getting to know someone with the same birthday and and became pretty fond of the person can you piece it all together for us yeah, there's a pretty funny story there. Um, so uh, I was there's a few years ago, I guess about four or five years ago, I was at school. My kids were in elementary school at the time, doing pickup, and I uh, had just I, I I started talking to someone, a mom of somebody who kids were in the same class, and uh, who just sort of I you know I get recently recently gotten divorced, and we started talking, and we we actually both um, were talking about the fact that we were both about to turn. 40 and uh how how that was bugging us and uh turned out we had the same birthday um same birth date same birthday and we were both dealing with the same thing we ended up actually having like a joint birthday party uh together and ended up actually getting married and uh now i get to give her grief though because she's 11 hours older than me so man that's that's got to be pressure on the birthday it's like it's not like you even have months to figure out like was the gift equal? It's on that day, right? Like, did did each of you do well enough? I mean, I, I would not want to be in that position. You can buy joint gifts sometimes. That's the That's way to do it. Things the best. That is a good way to do it. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, Todd, this has been awesome. Uh, for everyone listening in, if you want to follow Todd, Todd Berkowitz at uh, at Gartner, and uh, you know, we, I think we've learned a lot about this idea of you know how do we not just create content, but how do we think about leveraging that content at every stage of the buyer journey, but not trying to do so in a prescriptive way across the board and really think about the different buyers and the different needs that they may have at each stage and how unique those could be. Uh, Todd, if there's if there's somewhere for people to follow you and get more insights on Gardner, where would you point them to? Well, certainly you can uh, you know come find me on LinkedIn um, or Twitter. Um, my handle is, is, is at Todd Berkowitz. Um, or certainly you can come to the Gartner website and, and, and search for me. Um, oh, okay. If I mention a, a conference or is that, uh, is that, go is for that it. Okay. Go for it. We, uh, 
we have our, our, our one conference a year that we do for not for the end users, but actually for um, our tech clients specifically. It's the Gartner Tech Growth and Innovation Conference coming up uh, just about a month from now, so June June nineteenth in Huntington Beach. Um, I will have a panel on ABM. I will have a panel on sales enablement, and then a workshop on ABM too. But also lots of lots of other great great uh, great content to be there. So uh, you know, if you're looking for one more show to go to, uh, <laughs> it's on the beach. It's it's going to be a great great event, and uh, you can come find me, and I will uh, I will buy you a beer if you are amazing. Look at that on a beach content, and you can even oversee a swim meet all at the same time. Todd, this has been awesome. Uh, this has been great. Uh, thank you for everyone to tuning in. We know you have a lot of choice when it comes to podcasts. Content Pros, again, is part of the Convince and Convert family of podcasts. And just a reminder that if you're looking to learn about content marketing from Convince and Convert, they have the content marketing class at contentmarketingclass.com. Jay Bear giving you a ton of insight in terms of where to start and how to raise your game around content marketing. Until next time, please tune in with us on Stitcher, iTunes, Google Play, wherever you get your podcasts. Let us know what's working for you. Let us know where we can help in the feedback. And we'll be back with the next Content Pros. This is Jay Bear, and thanks for listening to Content Pros. Please leave a review and subscribe on iTunes or on your favorite podcast listening app. Go to contentprospodcast.com for a complete show archive and greatest hits. Content Pros is sponsored by Convince & Convert, Oracle Marketing Cloud, and by Uberflip. It's produced by my team and I at Convince & Convert Media. Interested in being a guest or a sponsor on the show? Visit us at convinceandconvert.com.